Welcome to Ben and Bran See a Movie, the show where Ben and Bran talk movies. My name is Ben Friedman, here from Into the Beniverse and, of course, this show. And today, I am talking about the interesting career of a Mr. Adam Sandler. Now, I just want to preface a few things before we get started. Branson will be coming on the show really soon to kind of just air out what's going on uh, behind the scenes, what we've been working on, stuff that's going to change, stuff that's new. Uh, and he'll be on either to talk Jurassic Park or Toy Story. We're still getting the dates figured out. He's been really busy these past few months, and it just we haven't been able to work anything out. But we've been talking about the return, how we're going to do it, all of that. I also just want to give a quick shout out to Spencer Roth Rose for last week for the episode on Top Gun. That episode has done really well and it's one of my favorite episodes. I think it's a really funny episode and I would encourage you if you haven't checked it out. I think it's a great discussion on Top Gun and Spencer was just a class act. Hilarious from start to beginning and I can't wait to talk to him more on this show. With that all said, I was again debating what to do for this episode, whether I should go solo, whether I should uh, just review my own type of movie and go on from there, or if I should do something similar that I did with when I broke down the film studio A24. I went somewhere in the middle and I decided to talk about one specific actor, and that actor this week is Adam Sandler. So kind of think of this as a video essay slash podcast on the career of Adam Sandler and what makes him such an interesting actor. So I chose Sandler particularly because he has this movie coming out soon on Netflix called Hustle, which is produced by him and LeBron James, and it's a basketball movie about Sandler playing a guy who scouts this supposedly just world-class talent uh, and tries to get him in the NBA. I think this movie is going to be really good. Early buzz on it has been really positive. It's saying that Sandler gives a really good dramatic sports performance uh, that while there may be cliches, it's a nice change of pace for Sandler from some of his more broad comedies. And that's where I just really wanted to start with this guy. He's had one of the most interesting careers since basically when he got on SNL in the 1990s to now. He's been basically a household name for over three decades now, and we all have our own impressions and thoughts on Adam Sandler, but I think there's a lot below the surface that we just never get to see from him. And that's what I really want to explore today. I want to explore who Adam Sandler is, what makes him unique as an actor, and also what makes him so relatable as an actor and what works and doesn't work for him as a performer. With that all said, I'm going to just start on it. So this is my thesis statement for the today. I think Adam Sandler is one of the most interesting actors working in Hollywood when he moves away from his comedy. Now, that's not me bashing his comedy. I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan. I, I know that's not necessarily the most popular thing to say around film circles or with reviewers. I genuinely enjoy more than most of his comedies. 
more, if not most, of his comedies. He's had some stinkers there. I cannot deny. Jack and Jill is maybe still arguably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Ridiculous Six was bad. He's had some stinkers over the years. But he's also had a lot of great comedies that I have really loved and really developed who I am as a movie fan and who I am uh, as a person with my sense of humor. So I do quite appreciate Adam Sandler's work, but I also think Sandler is so underrated as a dramatic actor. I think his forte is dramas. I think he's best when he is going more serious. And it's because of his training before getting on SNL. Adam Sandler is not one of these guys who just lucked into becoming an actor. He is a trained actor. You know, I was reading some stuff about him. And again, I apologize. I'm going to be looking at my notes throughout this. So if I'm not making eye contact, that is why. But Adam Sandler, he's a guy who went to New York post high school and started taking acting classes at Lee Strasberg Theater. And then he graduated from Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. He majored in acting. This is a guy who's been trained as an actor, along with the fact that he was a comedian at the age of 17. This is someone who's had his feet wet, who's worked hard to get to where he is. And he has that acting experience. A lot of times what you see, definitely with American actors, they don't have that. They either look out, they have natural talent uh, or anything like that, but they never actually have a lot of classical acting training. This guy does. And it's pretty rare, especially for comedic actors. A lot of comedic actors start off as comedians and then get film roles. This guy is, again, a guy who was technically a comedian by the age of 17, but he's also someone who's training to be an actor. So do remember that when we talk about Adam Sandler, this is not simply the case of someone who just kind of lucked into acting. This is a guy who put in the work to become an actor and has an interest in acting, even has a degree in it. Sandler makes his acting debut in 1987 as one of the friends of the Huxtable family in the show, The Cosby Show. Uh, I remember seeing him as a kid in it. He doesn't have a particularly big role, but he is a side character that appears in more than a few episodes. And that's really where he gets his start. But it's really when he gets cast as a cast member on SNL. He does have this movie in 1989 called Going Overboard. It's a really small budget. It really doesn't, doesn't become of note until post Adam Sandler's SNL career, which is when the studio then puts it out on a wider release, but it is released in 1989. So he is a guy who is trying to be an actor and comedian. He ends up being discovered by SNL weekend update host and show writer, Dennis Miller, who took an immediate liking to him and recommended him to SNL's creator, Lauren Michaels, which is then where Adam Sandler auditions, and gets the gig of SNL. And of course, SNL, for anyone who has not watched, the 90s is really defined in two generations of for SNL. There's the first generation that consists of the characters like Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider, David Spade, Julia Sweeney, and a little bit of the 
continuing cast from the 80s, which includes Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, and Dana Carvey. That's really the first era. You could kind of call that the Chris Farley, Adam Sandler. Then there's the second era, which has Will Ferrell, Chris Catan, Norm MacDonald. They feel like they're taking a much bigger role in the show's production and they become the main cast members that break up post Sandler and Farley and Spade, them all leaving. So Sandler becomes successful in the first iteration of SNL in the 90s. And again, like I said, he's cast along that same year, sees the feature uh, debuts of Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider, David Spade, and Julia Sweeney, all people who make really big names for themselves on SNL and it creates this kind of not necessarily resurgence in SNL. It's not that SNL ever went away after its first cast with Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd and all of them. It's that in the eighties, they really struggled to make a name for themselves. They have Eddie Murphy, but Eddie Murphy can only do so much on the show. Lauren's not producing it anymore. They have this resurgence, especially with Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, John Lovitz and all of them in the late eighties. This is the cast that really feels probably the most complete since the 90s, just because you do have the pieces that work so well in the late 80s, joining the pieces that basically guide them for the next five years in the 90s. Sandler instantly makes a name for himself for his comedic characters, including Opera Man, which was a weekend update character, Canteen Boy, Lunch Lady, and the Gap Girls. He is always kind of the shy characters. His characters always are a little bit more quieter, more reserved. They usually talk in the funny voice, which if you know Adam Sandler, you know exactly the voice I'm talking about. He's often the straight man, especially to Chris Farley, who they let Chris Farley kind of just go for it at a lot of the scenes. And uh, Sandler plays off of it. But there are times where we get to see him get to play more of the eccentric characters like in the case of Canteen Boy or even his Pepper Boy uh, that he did with Dana Carvey. So he makes a name for himself. He gets fired in 95, or I guess the season that the 95 will debut in. He gets fired along with Chris Farley. They were just pulling too many pranks. They, It was also kind of their time to go. They had been there five years. And after getting fired from SNL, he goes on to make basically one of the most legendary comedic runs that any actor has really just given. And between 1995 to 1999, he has films such as Billy Madison in 95. 96 includes Happy Gilmore. 98 includes The Wedding Singer and The Waterboy. And 99 includes Big Daddy. Now, these first two films in particular, Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, they elevate him. Kind of think that same year where Jim Carrey had Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask in one year. That's kind of what Sandler had this one period was just these two films made him the biggest star and these films that followed subsequently just elevated him and elevated him. And by the time the 2000s hit, he's one of the biggest stars. Uh, in the planet. There's a few things to note during this time. Uh, and the big one is that 
he produces the water boy and big daddy which uh come out in 98 and 99 this is his first step into producing which eventually leads him to start the production company happy madison in 1999 with their first feature film being deuce bigelow male gigolo starring rob schneider and this essentially becomes the comedy producing company that adam sandler has stuck with from 2000 to 2022 there's very few films that have he's left this company for so that's just another important thing to note because the happy madison era really is another new chapter in adam sandler's career and it's the one that is often most divisive people know what they are getting when they see a happy madison film and there's a certain level of immaturity shtick just kind of getting to make movies for themselves uh and not really care about the critical response. Now, this allows for really popular films to be made by Happy Madison, including Click, You Don't Mess With the Zohan and Grown Ups, but it also allows for Adam Sandler to kind of go unchecked, including Jack and Jill and the Netflix era uh, that includes The Ridiculous Six. So it's a very divisive turn for him, where this is, I think, where a lot of people just start dropping off on Adam Sandler and just make up their minds on who he is. But if they did that, 2002 introduces something new for Sandler that a lot of his critics then have to reconcile with, and that's the release of Paul Thomas Anderson's film Punch Drunk Love. Now, Thomas Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, became a huge director in the late 90s with Boogie Nights and with Magnolia. And so he takes on this project. Adam Sandler takes this role, and it's a very dramatic turn for him. And it's quite well-received and showcased that Sandler has more dramatic abilities than I think anyone recognized at that point. And it marks something interesting with him where he will then start taking the random dramatic project from time to time. Now, this is not to say that Adam Sandler has moved over to uh, dramatic acting uh, full-time. He's not. They are pretty rare occasions. I would say his next one would be Rain Over Me in 2007, and then Funny People has its dramatic tendencies in 2009, and then we really have to wait until 2017 with the Meyerowitz stories. So it's a guy who will do it, but he does it not often. I would say the next then chapter of Adam Sandler's career, you would have to go to the Netflix deal. The Netflix deal was a huge thing. They basically gave, they basically bought the rights to every Happy Madison movie that he would produce from 2014 on. It's been quite successful for Netflix. They've made a lot of movies that have been watched heavily by the public. They haven't quite had a ton of films that have had necessarily critical success. They've had movies that have done better with critics, like Murder Mystery, but they haven't quite had like a success critically as, let's say, even a Big Daddy or a uh, Wedding Singer. They haven't quite reached that level of 
critical acclaim yet. And a lot of critics fault Sandler for basically choosing to make the same film over and over again, which I think leads to this kind of natural discussion on the shtick of Adam Sandler, because there is a shtick to him. Most actors have something that makes them who they are. And Sandler in particular is most famous for the characters that he plays that have a childish personality and usually a funny accent. They are often sweet characters that are completely immature and have to go through uh, maturing in the film. Now, the catalyst for that uh, maturation is usually a love interest. Sandler has made a career for himself as being one of Hollywood's most profitable romantic leading men. So that is where most of his comedies are based in. They usually have elements of romantic comedy. That's not to say all of them are Ed and do, but they usually have some sort of romantic lead for him to go up against. His characters usually have a dark side to them. Uh, they often come in the form of anger issues and social anxiety. And if you want to hear Sandler talk more openly about his anger issues, check out his podcast that he did with Conan O'Brien on the show, Conan Needs a Friend, where he has Adam Sandler join. Sandler is open with the fact that he has an anger issue and that that comes through in his characters. And so we get to see this dark side of him and he's bringing something that's true to him into his characters, which makes it a little bit more relatable. Along with that, like I said, these characters have their annoying tendencies, their immaturity, these usually wacky voices. But Sandler's always somehow able to ground a lot of these characters. And that's usually because these characters also are family men. Even when he finds himself not as necessarily the paternal figure within the film, he ends up fighting for his family, such as Happy Gilmore, which is, again, he's not a father in that film, but you see him caring over his grandma. And it's this family man quality that Sandler brings that grounds him in his humanity, making it easier for audiences to just buy into this character's eccentricities because they know in their heart that he's a good guy. I think another thing that people and audiences just like about Sandler, there's a friendship loyalty about him. He casts the same actors in his Happy Madison productions, whether that's David Spade, Chris Rock, Kevin James, Lovitz, Steve Buscemi, reworking with Jennifer Aniston and Drew Barrymore, Rob Schneider, all of those you get to see these characters and loyalty. Now, some have suggested that he works so closely with his friends because of the loss of uh, Chris Farley, that he just wants to, you know, make a career for himself where he's working with his friends, something that he didn't get to do with Farley. That's something that only he knows. I, it makes sense uh, if that was a motivation for him just wanting to work with friends. But I think this also just makes Sandler an instantly likable guy because you know he's a good friend because these guys keep coming back to him, which then when we're seeing an Adam Sandler movie, even if we don't necessarily like the movie, 
we buy into this character enough because we're like, okay, he's a good guy and it just makes him even more easily rootable for. And then I think the thing that just ties together this bow that is Adam Sandler is that these characters he plays are actually often rooted in insecurities. Even the comedic characters, they have something about them that makes them insecure, whether that's Hubie Halloween and Billy Madison's intellect, whether it's the self-image and just detachment they have from like whether the wedding singer, punch drunk love or funny people, or even just the everyday struggles of being a dad and failing as a father figure that you or fear of failing as a father figure slash protector that you see in big daddy hotel transylvania that's my boy click and of course most famously probably reign over me it's a large part that makes sandler who he is there's these just bits of him that just feel so real and when we're watching an outlandish character like billy madison we realize this character is really just an insecurity of intelligence and i think that just makes his movie so popular his art is truly a reflection of self and we can relate to said insecurities his angers his friendships and then we allow that to accept the broad often over the top ridiculous comedic performances that he then brings into his movies and i think the 10 movies that i'm about to talk about they all display those characteristics of what makes an Adam Sandler movie an Adam Sandler movie, but also what makes him so interesting as an actor. Now, I did the math. I've seen 30 Adam Sandler films. I'm only going to talk about 10 of them. And I will just say 10 through 14, honestly, any of them could have taken the 10th spot. I ultimately had to sit and think, which one do I want representing the 10? And I ended up choosing the movie that I thought he gave the best performance between 10 through 14. So I chose 50 First Dates. And I think the reason I chose 50 First Dates, one, is because of the performance he gives. It's a character that we really get to just see him mature and change as a person. For anyone who does not know, the film follows Henry Roth, who's a Marine veterinarian who possesses a fear of commitment. And that it happens until he meets Lucy, played by Drew Barrymore. Uh, he instantly kind of just takes an attraction to her until learning that the situation becomes much more complicated when he finds out that Lucy has short-term memory loss. And it's, like I said, it's a film that allows us to watch Adam Sandler grow before our eyes. We start off with a man who fears commitment to a man desperate to get her to remember him. He wants to spend his life with her. And this film is often funny as much as it is heart-wrenchingly sweet. Uh, Barrymore, Barrymore and Sandler just have a great comedic chemistry throughout. And just for all of these reasons, I think it's a really sweet film within Sandler's lexicon. Not my favorite film that they've done, but certainly one that I enjoy. I think the comedy is hit and miss at times, which is why it's so low on my list. I've never particularly cared for Rob Schneider, so his supporting character I always found pretty annoying in this movie. But with that all said and done, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore give enough for this film to make it 
a pleasant film to watch and one that is just ultimately a really sweet romantic comedy. Coming in in number nine is another romantic comedy of sorts, and this is Punch Drunk Love from 2002. Now, I think it's important to just set the stage of where Adam Sandler is in his career uh, before Punch Drunk Love comes out. He's had the success of the 90s. He gets in the 2000s. He continues to produce these Happy Madison films, which I believe Mr. Deeds, Big Daddy, uh, Little Nicky, they're all coming out at this time. People are starting to get tired of Adam Sandler, the actor, and they see these characters that he's playing as just the same beats over and over again, and that he really just doesn't have any range or talent. And I think his naysayers then have to be proven wrong with Punch Drunk Love, which Sandler plays Barry Egan, an entrepreneur with social anxiety who struggles to form relationships until he meets Lena, played by Emily Watson. And this is really Sandler's first foray into dramatic territory. Paul Thomas Anderson, in this film, crafts a film where Sandler plays a real-life version of the eccentric characters he portrays in his comedy films. They are often rooted in their pain and frustration. They are often over-the-top, ridiculous, annoying. Yet we're now seeing a film that actually addresses the real-life repercussions of the actions that he does in his comedy. But yet, Sandler is also able to keep his decent qualities within. He is well-intentioned, but depressed and anxiety-ridden. And it causes this character to lash out in really harmful and hurtful ways. And I think that's what works about this movie. It's kind of an interesting retrospective of the career Adam Sandler has had up to 2002. We see the things that made him work. Yes, the comedic sensibilities are all there. The character is even very much based on the characters that he's played in the 90s and early 2000s. Yet, what this film does so differently, again, is deals with the consequences and just brings Adam Sandler to life and brings those characters retrospectively to life. And it's the film that introduces Sandler really to the wide public as a great dramatic actor. And the reason this film's so low on my list is I think it's just that he does this performance better in later movies that I prefer. And I think this film also just has this underlying thing that Sandler's always kind of able to rely on his over-the-top comedy, which kind of works as his safety net in this film. Again, that's not to say that this is a safe performance, but I think he always has that to uh, rely on in the back pocket for this film. And I think he does dramatic performances later on in his career where that just simply is not the case. That safety net is not there. And I think that makes those performances more interesting, more dynamic, and really just at times just more intense. So that's my number nine. My number eight is a film from 2009 called Funny People, which is directed by Judd Apatow. And again, context is really key for films. So for this one, Judd Apatow is maybe the biggest comedic director working in Hollywood in this time period between like, I would say 2005 to maybe like 2012 with this is 40 is where that peak really feels like it's at. 
yeah, for those who do not know Judd Apatow's career, I think his directorial and writing styles can best be described as comedies that feel more gigantic, definitely much more raunchier. Uh, they're improvisational and they're character driven. Apatow's films have often followed characters stuck in Arrested Development, whether that's 40-year-old version or Knocked Up. These films often deal with the themes of heartbreak, loneliness, friendships, and growing older. And this film is no exception. This film follows Sandler playing George Simmons, a retired comedian turned actor who discovers that he has leukemia, causing him a desire to return to his stand-up roots. And this film in particular is based on the relationship Adam Sandler has with the public. Apatow writes this film on Sandler's public persona. In this film, the character of Simmons, his films are poorly received by critics. He's often called a hack. His work is considered very lowbrow. And there's this air of just kind of darkness surrounding this character personality. Like I said, there's again, something that's of note of Sandler is this anger issue. And in this film, we get to see all of those. And I think Apatow is really able to tap into Sandler here because he's known Sandler since college. They were college roommates. So he gets to see, he got to see Sandler evolve from, you know, the college roommate to seeing where Sandler's career stands in 2009, which again has the highlights now. There is now no denying that Sandler has dramatic capabilities with performances like Rain Over Me and uh, Punch Drunk Love. But it's now this kind of thing where is he choosing to apply himself because the films that we're getting at this uh, time include films like You Don't Mess With the Zohan or I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, which just aren't particularly well-received. Actually, uh, just side note, I had I, uh, You Don't Mess With the Zohan in my top 14. I really debated it putting it in there uh, in the top 10. I I genuinely think that movie's pretty funny. Going on with that though, Funny People explores what it's like to lose someone that you care about. And I think Sandler is able to touch into that pain of one losing his father in 2004, uh, that his father never got to meet Sandler's kids and also just the loss of Chris Farley, I think there are all themes explored in this movie. And this movie, I think, features maybe one of Adam Sandler's best performances, but it's not one of his best movies. And I think it's because of Apatow. Like most Apatow films, this film is too long, and the comedy is often hit or miss. But why I like this film so much is it's a great exploration of Sandler, the man and the public figure and his willingness to be so vulnerable and discuss the pains of growing up of aging and anger. It just feels very therapeutic to him. And I just, I like when an actor is willing to showcase something so vulnerable to an audience and just allow us to sit with the good and bad. So for that all, yeah, funny people, like I said, it has its scenes. It has scenes that I also just don't think are very funny. It's too long. But I think this film has a lot to offer, especially if you're just solely looking at the performance from Adam Sandler. All right, number seven 
is his 1999 film Big Daddy, which I think is maybe Sandler's most underappreciated comedy. And here's how I would describe it. If you say Punch Drunk Love is the movie where Sandler proves his dramatic sensibilities, fair. But I would argue Big Daddy is the first inclination of his dramatic chops. Big Daddy follows Sonny, a slacker who works as a toll booth worker, despite possessing a law degree. His life is upended when he meets a five-year-old boy named Julian who appears on his doorstep. He then discovers that the boy's mother had just died and his biological father is Sonny's best friend who's away on a business trip for the next couple of weeks, forcing Sonny to essentially be responsible for this kid. And I think this film is crazy sweet. It forces Sandler into being mature which is really the first film that we get to see him playing a full-on adult with adult issues in raising a kid. There's hints of it in like Wedding Singer, where we're again, we're seeing with somebody fall in love, but this one, he's responsible for another life. So there's something that just feels rapid about the maturing process of him. And it's the first thing where first film where he really just has to shed that comedic goofball side of him and just be a genuine father to this kid and i love that you get to see sandler and this child uh played by the sprouse twins form a genuine bond in the film and Sonny, as a character then realizes his purpose in life is to be a father and it showcases sandler at his most adult in 1999 that we've seen him it's an acknowledgement kind of of him just growing up in real life and on film, he's a very different guy than he was in 1995. He's getting older. He's now in serious relationships. He'll have kids soon. It's him kind of acknowledging that, yeah, I'm growing older. And I just, there's more to me than just that goofball. There's a maturity to me that maybe I'm not always willing to express, but it's there. So for that, I just think Big Daddy is one, one of his most underrated films one of his most sweetest films and just a really laugh out loud funny film that also just hits you in the heart so that's my number seven and my number six is here's the interesting thing my six through basically two could have gone in any order and i debated flipping them but i ended up going with this one at six i love my one through six my one through six, I think it'd be nearly impossible to not think that any of these movies don't make my top 100 movies of all time. It'd be, if they're not there on the cutting board, I would consider all of them. Uh, so I'll just say my number six is Happy Gilmore from 1996. Uh, this film, again, for context, follows Billy Madison, which came out in 1995. It's kind of the one-two punch that makes Sandler one of the biggest comedic stars in the world. And this film is a pure comedy. Unlike some of the other ones that I've just mentioned, which all have their elements of drama, this one is a pure comedy from start to finish, uh, which is full of comedic one-liners, great supporting comedic characters, including Carl Weathers, Alan Cover, Ben Stiller, and Bob Barker. Uh, Shooter McGavin is one of the best villains on film of all time. He's just the ultimate douchebag played by Christopher McDonald. 
And there's just something endearing about the character of Gilmore. Uh, this is achieved through the story of it, which even though Gilmore is this raging lunatic with way too many anger issues and just often just rude to people, he's a good he's a good uh, grandma's boy. He's fighting to make sure that his grandmother is financially secure and he's doing everything that he does in the film, winning the golf tournament in for her to give her a better life. And it makes this character instantly likable despite his immaturity and rage issues. And I also think this film just has a great comedic pairing with Julie Bowen. And I think the romantic chemistry is very believable. Yeah, I really love this film. There's so many of my favorite lines are within this film, uh, whether it's Chubbs being attacked by the Gators, one of the great scenes, Sandler losing his temper while he's putting, yelling like, give it a little tappy tap. Oh, why won't you go in your hole? Don't you want to go in your hole? That's your home, all that. Um, the price is wrong, bitch, is one of the funniest lines in film. This film's just so endlessly quotable for me it's again it has this kind of nostalgic factor for me because i've had friends in college where this was one of the films we would just quote back and forth to one another so it just has that too where i just have so many fond memories watching happy gilmore with my friends and yeah i really like this film it is more of sandler playing essentially an adam sandler archetype where some of the other performances i'm about to mention are sandler playing a character uh, a comedic character and not really Adam Sandler, as is the case of Billy Madison from 1995, which is my number five. This is the film that makes Adam Sandler a comedic force to be reckoned with. The film follows Madison, who is a trust fund kid forced to repeat elementary through high school to run his father's company so that one of the jerks who works for Madison's dad does not take over the company and basically ruin it for the employees. So here's the interesting thing about Billy Madison. Madison is arguably one of Sandler's most annoying characters. And if you can't get on board with that, you're not going to particularly like this movie. I just showed this to a friend a few months ago. They did not find this movie funny. Where others of my friends find it one of the funniest movies ever made. It is simply, can you get past the comedy of this film and the annoying character that is Billy Madison? And if you can't, you're going to really struggle to like this film. The thing is, that's by design. This character is supposed to be irritating. And it's, we're not supposed to root for him, probably for a good third of the film. But there's this kindness to him that kind of gets revealed as the film goes on. And we learn that this guy has more than just being a trust fund idiot kid. He does have this sweetness to him. The staff responds to him really well. The children uh, in elementary school respond to him really well and like him. And the scene is kind of perfectly displayed of this character's just genuineness is when one of the kids wets themselves on a field trip and Sandler's character fakes peeing himself and convinces everyone that it's cool. And it's at this moment in the film where the love interest, uh, Veronica, realizes that he really is a good guy. And it's also the scene where we in the audience realize this guy's a good guy and that he has this big heart. 
And the reason he is the way he is, kind of this sociopathic, uh, trust fund, immature kid, is because he's never been asked to apply himself or push himself, leaving him immature and irresponsible. He's basically just an eight-year-old uh, with a human body. And I think that all works for this film really well, giving some great comedic scenes. I think the whole third act of the film with the triathlon is some of the funniest comedy you'll see in films. Uh, and the scale film is again, endlessly quotable. Uh, this is a film that I've quoted with my friends for decades now, whether it's the quote from boy, I'm sure glad I called that guy to a simple wrong would have done just fine. Or even uh, Billy Madison quoting Shakespeare to sleep. It just all really works for me on a comedic level. And I just think this is the comedic character out of all the ones that Sandler has created, where it is truly a character, not really Adam Sandler. This is by far my favorite. It has the immaturity of all the other characters. It has the sweetness. It has kind of the standoffish nature of it, the anger of the others. But this is the one that just all comes together for me. And it's Sandler's comedy fully realized which is impressive when it's his first comedic real lead comedic performance all right number four is a 1998 film that i adore i think it's his best romantic comedy hands down and that's the wedding singer i mentioned how 51st states there was a few more drew barrymore performances that he's she's giving along with adam sandler that i prefer and romantic comedies that i prefer of his it's this one. It's The Wedding Singer. I think this is hands down Sandler's best uh, romantic comedy and probably his most realized comedy that is universally accessible. And in this film, Sandler plays Robbie Hart, a wedding singer who has just been left at the altar and soon after that event meets Julia, played by Barrymore. She's a woman who he quickly falls in love with only to find out that she is engaged to, uh, for lack of a better words, just an asshole. And there's so much to love about this movie. One, it's wildly funny and sweet. The ending of this film always makes me cry when he confesses uh, his love to her uh, with the song uh, Growing Old With You. I think it's just so charming and sweet. But also the reason this film works as an actual movie, and if you want to dare I say character study, is because Sandler's actually giving a really nuanced, great performance in it. Yes, he does rely on the comedy because this is a comedy, but he's doing way more than that. This is a character who's deeply insecure and closed off due to his recent breakup and being left at the altar. The character is often grappling that, and he makes mistakes with his relationship with Julia. And we get to see this character just be the worst at times. He's often rude to her, and he has to learn to overcome this pain and accept that he is capable of loving and being loved. And once he gets through that arc, it's then when the romance can really take its center. And that's what I love about this film. Yes, it's a great romantic comedy. It also, I think, says a lot about just moving forward and accepting who you are and what has happened to you and just remembering self-love. So for all of those things, along with the fact that this movie's crazy funny, has a really iconic score, a lot of great one-liners, great comedic and romantic performances from Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. 
all of that working in tangent makes this one of my favorite uh, Adam Sandler films. Uh, this is where it gets hard. My three and two could literally switch. And uh, honestly, three probably deserves to go in two. Two, it's just impossible for me not to put it where it is. So I'll say my three. And anyone who knows my film taste knows what my number two is. My number three is the Safety Brothers Uncut Gems from 2019. Again, context is going to be so crucial here. Sandler is just stuck in his career, it feels like. He's been in this happy Madison Netflix deal basically since 2014, putting out films that just well liked enough by his fans and Netflix uh, the ratings are showing that they're good. They're not doing much for his legacy or career. They're kind of just one after the other after the other. They all kind of feel the same. They all are very generic feeling. Uh, they really they don't make any dent within the uh, film community or even just Sandler's fans. Like there's nothing really memorable about these films, whether it's the ridiculous six that do over uh, Sandy Wexler, all of them, they just never really land anything. Uh, he has this film in 2017 called the Meyerowitz stories, which is very small, but does showcase again, Sandler's dramatic sensibilities. That's released to Netflix, but again, not really a huge hit. And then uncut gems comes out. And, Critics often laud this as his best performance he's given to date. And it might be. It just simply might be the best performance Adam Sandler has given. I have one performance that I give over this one. But if you wanted to make the argument that this is his best performance, it'd be hard to fight you. And maybe, honestly, on some days, I would probably agree. This film follows Howard Ratner, who is a degenerate gambler forced to pay off his debts. Again, it's directed by the Safdie brothers, and I would describe this film as chaos captured on screen, and it gets you everything that Sandler has done so well as an actor in the past. It showcases his comedic sensibilities and charms, but they're brought over to a new character that, unlike the other ones that he plays that still have this kind of humanity to them, this character is completely lost. This guy we should never root for him, yet we're enamored by him. We kind of just can't take our eyes off of him. And we just, as he wins and wins, we kind of are encouraging him to go further and further in his gambling debt, even though we know it can never end well. Sandler truly transforms into a degenerate gambler and takes us along for the ride. It's not a happy film, but it's often a really funny film. It's a crazy tense film. It's just everything that Adam Sandler has done so well with the drama, with the comedy, with his uh, public persona. And then he just showcases something else to it. This is a leading man performance similar to that of Robert De Niro and Raging Bull or in Taxi Driver, Al Pacino, Al Pacino in The Godfather, or Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Love, There Will Be Blood. It's him really just taking over, and it's him from start to finish on screen. He commands the screen from beginning to end in a way that he's never been able to do. 
And it's just such a unique character, one that it's impossible to see anybody but Sandler pulling off. And it brings so much of what has made him just so known throughout his career. His love of New York is displayed in this film. His love of basketball, all of it, just everything that we know about Sandler and have thought about him, it's in this film for like half of it. And then there's this other half of his performance that just feels completely new and fresh. It's an actor taking probably the biggest chance he's ever taken in his career. And it pays off immensely. I love Uncut Gems. So that's my number three. My number two, I don't have to go into much details on this film because I've talked about it on this podcast before. And this one is purely a nostalgia pick. I get that films like Uncut Gems, The Wedding Singer are probably better not even probably, are better than this film. But this one's one of my favorite films. I rewatch it at least probably twice a year. I crack up watching this film, and it came out at such the right age for me. I'm 12 when this film comes out, and it's when I'm getting into SNL and first learning about more adult comedies and the works of stand-up like Sandler, like Chris Rock and uh, David Spade. So when this movie came out, it just piqued my interest at all the right times i love this film came out in 2010 i have such fond memories watching it i've seen it countless times out of all the movies on this list this is easily the one of sandler's that i've watched the most and it's grown-ups i get it it's not again one of the best films that he's made but i genuinely find this movie really funny and really sweet I think this movie is chock full of laughs and I'm just, I'm in for the ride. I have so much fun watching it. I feel like I'm one of the friends in the, uh, in the movie. I'm just on board for it all. There are so many great lines from this movie. So many things I just quote, it really just shaped my comedic sensibilities as an adult. Uh, and specifically when I'm 12 years old, going into my formative years as a teenager, it all just like, plays a heavy role into this it's the film that again makes gets me into david spade and chris rock's comedy uh gets me to discover who chris farley is all that so just for all of that for just the nostalgic take i have on this movie and for the fact that i genuinely find this movie really funny it has to be my number two and it's grown-ups and i'm not ashamed of it (laughs) which leads me to my number one which I know I already said Uncut Gems might be his best performance. To me, this is his best performance. It's the one that breaks me every time I watch it. I can't help but cry throughout this film. I think it's so beautiful. I think it's so touching. I think it's a beautiful exploration of PTSD, trauma, and pain, and healing. And it's one that Sandler's never really gotten to do more Uh, In his career, even with Uncut Gems, he's playing a very specific type of character. This one is really the most character study of a character study. And that is the film Rain Over Me from 2007. The film follows Dr. Charlie Feynman, who lost his wife and three daughters on 9-11. The once successful and sociable man has withdrawn from society and from his in-laws in his former life. He does everything he can do to block out the trauma and events from his mind as a coping mechanism until one day he meets a former college friend named Alan, played by John Cheadle, who helps him confront what he has lost. 
And to me, this is the perfect encapsulation of everything that makes Adam Sandler great as an actor. It is completely heartfelt. It feels completely genuine without an ounce of cynicism. His character is often quite funny, yet also we see a darker side of this character. We have an immediate empathy for this character due to the events that has happened in this life. But as the film goes on, our empathy sways. We start questioning who this guy is, whether he can ever be healed, and whether we're just wasting our time because we just feel stuck with this guy. There's scenes where his brash behavior just makes this character of uh, Dr. Charlie Feynman so deeply unlikable. He's a rock that's essentially refusing to move throughout the film. And again, we understand where he's coming from, but that doesn't make him likable. But it also allows for when those scenes where he does become more emotionally vulnerable, where he is opening up about his loss, they just hit like a truck. It's so impactful and it's so hard, nearly impossible to watch. And your heart breaks for him instantly. What this film does so well is it shows a man coming to terms with PTSD and trauma, something so unimaginable happening to somebody. And it feels like a love letter that Sandler wrote in response to 9-11. Again, this film comes out about six years after 9-11. Sandler, a proud New Yorker. It almost feels like his therapeutic exercise that is working largely for a city, where it's a city kind of coming to terms. And the fact that how many families that day in New York and all over uh, the United States and the world lost somebody they loved and in some cases lost everyone they uh, loved, uh, like Adam Sandler does in this film. It feels very therapeutic in that nature, where it's him getting to deal with those emotions and coping with the pain and just living through it. And what I love that this film does is I think it accurately portrays PTSD, depression, anxiety, all of that, and trauma. It doesn't do what films have often done, where it's act one, we meet the characters at their lowest, act two, they're getting healed, act three, they're kind of just normal. This character is not normal by the end of act three. This character is not back to any form of normalcy, but he's working and progressing towards it. It's not an overnight fix, and he's going to carry the pain of this event for the rest of his life, and it's just inevitable. But it's also a film that understands that it's going to take years of psychiatric help, therapy, and reliance on friendship to ground him once again. And so it's beautiful in that sense because it just feels so real to life. And it's a film that's basically telling its audience, it's okay that it's not going to happen this year or next year or the year after. This is a slow process and there's going to be good and there's going to be bad, but it's progress is progress. And that's what needs to be seen. And that's what's it's most important. I think that's what this film hits on. Along with that, there's just things that Sandler does in this f- film that I just find beautiful. It's a film that showcases triggers really well. 
uh, unlike most films that I have seen, this one really shows how something can be seen or heard and it really just throws the character so off it shows like just the trauma all coming back to him there's one scene in particular where he sees a picture of his family and he breaks so quickly and you just see sandler just kind of close off and freeze go through all ranges of emotion in front of our eyes and it's heartbreaking but it also just feels so true to life and I like that this film also just deals with the fact that like there is a moving forward. There is a fact that factor that you will never fully be able to move forward, but it's also on him. It's his responsibility to accept that he needs to move forward and only he can make that change. The people around him are trying at times to force that change where Don Cheadle, who I haven't really mentioned in the, he's great in this film as well. He gives him the space but encouragement to change. And I just think for all of that, it's a really beautiful film. It's a tough watch. If you haven't seen this film, I highly recommend it, but also do just be aware. It's not an easy film to watch. There are at least four or five scenes that are just heartbreaking to watch. I think it's Sandler's best work. I think it's his best character study. All of it just, it's his best film. It's my favorite film. He does. It's my favorite performance he's ever given. And I just, I truly love this film. I saw it at a time where film was such an important thing for me, uh, development wise. And this was really one of the first mature films that I saw that Sandler did, where it's him being more of an adult. And it kind of also, I think I saw this film when I'm like 14. So it's a film that also kind of bridges the gap for me to find more uh, films like this and get into more adult subjects and also help me deal with some of the trauma and pains and uh, anxieties in my life. So it's for that and for all that combined. And for the fact that, like I said, I just think that's a wonderful film. Rain Over Me is my favorite Adam Sandler film. And that kind of ends my discussion on Adam Sandler, why I think he's a great actor, why I think he's one of the most interesting guys working in Hollywood, and what makes him so special and relatable as an actor. With that all said, I always try to think of a great debate question, but it's always a little hard to do it when you're just doing it solo by myself. And I'm just like, okay, what should I do? So I end up doing something more that's an exercise. Who do I want to see Adam Sandler partner with in a film as his director that I think would lead to really special performances? So I came up with a list of five, five directors that I think would just elevate Sandler's dramatic sensibilities and give us great performances that we know Sandler's capable of. So I'll break down the five. And then after that, I will also just mention the ones that came so close to making on my honorable mentions. But let's just start off with the directors first. Coming in at number five is the director, Lulu Lang. She directed The Farewell, starring Aquafina, which came out in 2019. It's a really sweet film. It allowed Aquafina to, again, kind of transform herself from a comedic actor to a dramatic actor while keeping those comedic sensibilities. And it tells a story about family about grief and losing someone. And I think all of those things just have been in Sandler's wheelhouse. And I'd like to see him work with a director who knows how to do comedy and balance drama. 
in it. So I think Lulu Lang would be a really interesting choice for him to work with. Number four, and this is straight up because Sandler's a Brooklyn guy. Uh, New York has played such a huge part of his career, and I'd like to see him partner with somebody who's just such an interesting and loud and passionate filmmaker, and that's Spike Lee. Uh, I don't know what this role would be. I don't know uh, what it would even look like, if it's more dramatic, if it's more comedic. Spike Lee can balance both of those perfectly, and I just feel like there is a world where Spike Lee can get a really unique performance from Adam Sandler, and I think the two just share a lot in common that I feel like they'd like each other, both Nick guys. Number three... This is actually completely based on the fact that this actor, this is completely based off the fact that this director said he likes Adam Sandler and would love to work with him. Uh, that is Bong Joon-ho, who directed 2019's Oscar winner, Parasite. I think this is actually a really good match made in heaven. Bong Joon-ho, what that film does so well, Parasite, I mean, is that it's basically a comedy for the first hour before it becomes a crazy insane mystery thriller and i just think that those sensibilities that bong joon ho was able to bring into parasite i'd love to see him get a performance out of that out of sandler and i think there the fact that he likes sandler the fact that parasite was the film that it is that made him really just one of the biggest directors and the fact that those were the sensibilities found within parasite i think just leads for something interesting my number two director that I would like him to work with is Martin Scorsese. It's Martin Scorsese. How could I not choose him? He's one of the most prolific, most talented filmmakers we have today. Of course, he's going to get a good performance out of Sandler. Uh, I don't really have to say more from this, but if I had to add some evidence, Ray Romano was recently in The Irishman and I think gave a great performance in The Irishman, which again is directed by Scorsese. I think Sandler could do something very similar and I'd like to see Sandler in the starring role within a Scorsese film. And then my number one almost came to fruition in 2009 with Inglorious Bastards, where Sandler was supposed to play the Bear Jew, but he did not. And I still want to see that partnership. I know Quentin Tarantino, who is my pick, starred in, not starred, but had a supporting role within Little Nicky. I know these two guys are friends. This just feels like a match made in heaven. You get Quentin Tarantino's writing delivered by Adam Sandler. I think there's a lot of fun to be had in this role, in this thing. They clearly want to work together. I think it actually is a matter of time before we see Adam Sandler within a Tarantino film. And that's what I would like to see. We came so close with the Inglorious Bastards. God, that movie would have been so different if Eli Roth was not the Bear Jew and was played by Sandler. I'm really curious to know what that would have looked like. I actually think Eli Roth might have been the better casting, but there's a part of me that so badly wishes to know what Sandler would have looked like in that role. So with that said, he's the number one choice that I would want Sandler to work with. And before I go, I said that I would talk about the uh, films that almost made it into my top 10. I had a few. The ones that really came close were The Water Boy, Blended, 
you don't mess with the Zohan, and that's my boy. Now, 11 and 12, that's my boy, and you don't mess with the Zohan are definitely very weird ones. They're pretty critically panned. Uh, I like that Sandler is playing a character in these films. That's kind of solely the reason. I think they're both hit and miss comedy-wise, but I think he's trying. I think he's trying to play a very different type of comedic character that I think both have their charm. And that's my boy really is the only representation of Sandler just taking it crude and rude. That is not a clean comedy at all. And it's a pretty offensive comedy. Uh, one that just nowhere close to family friendly. So it was interesting to see him where you don't mess with the Zohan definitely has a lot more of his comedic sensibilities. I like blended a lot. I think that film's underrated for definitely the worst of the three Barrymore Sandler pairings, but I still think charming and yeah, so that's my list to kind of cap off uh, my favorite Adam Sandler films. With all that said, I'm going to see Hustle uh, this time today, uh, June 3rd. I'll have a review out for that this weekend. And thank you guys for listening. This is Ben and Brand See a Movie. I am Ben Friedman. Thank you for listening to this episode. And yeah, let me know what you think of Adam Sandler. Is he one of your favorite actors? Do you, can you not stand him? Do you, what is your favorite performance of Hips? What's your least favorite performance? I've said it. Mine's is Jack and Shield without a doubt. I just want to hear your thoughts on the man that is Sandman. So with that all said, thank you guys for listening. I'm Ben Friedman. Take care. Bye-bye.